Really, really nice shirts to have if you're if you're growing something down there. Polo shirts are pizza friendly. I think that's what you're saying. Oh yeah. Hey podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Happy Thursday morning. It's the Tropical MBA Podcast. As is per the usual, I'm joined by the boss man, all the way from California. What's up, brother? Hey, man. How's it going? Just sitting here, actually uh, having a beer today. Oh, yeah? Really? Wow. Yeah. Gee, gee, Why not? Very nice. Well, what kind is it? Bring us on the inside, man. What do you- I can't tell you that much. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Belgium, though. Today? Wow. No wonder you can't tell us. <laughs> so sophisticated, boss man. Today we are going to talk about uh, some high-level stuff, actually. Um, one of the things when we were discussing the points in this week's episode, Ian, you were like, hey, I want to be sure that I don't know if this advice applies to anybody. Like, This is like kind of once you have momentum. So this might be like a Tropical MBA 302 course, how to get more lifestyle out of your business once you're, you sort of have some momentum going. And you know, I, I'll tell you this, Ian, this is not inspired this episode, is one of the most universal things that I see happen when people get success in business is that they start taking orders from their business rather than giving orders to their business. They let their business... You should be shipping orders out to your customers, right? That's how it works. <laughs> it's like you're, you're taking marching orders from your business rather than, than the other way around. And this is a very challenging situation to be in. You've, got, you've built this empire. You've built this entity that is bigger than you. It's feeding your family. It's all this stuff. And it's tough to stand up to it and, and push it, push back and say, Hey, you know, this is the direction we're going to go. And we're going to talk about some sort of, I think some advanced level strategies on, on how to manage this complex situation that comes up for entrepreneurs when their business gets success and starts to take hold of them and starts to dictate orders. Yeah. We're going to get into it, Dan, because there's a lot of things that you can do to set your business up. So this doesn't happen to you. You know, we should start recording the preamble because we had a lot of good thoughts there. So hopefully they make it onto the show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of preamble, let me give some Taleb quotes that can sort of set the scene for the five strategies that we're going to lay out here. Number one, what we commonly call success, reward, status, recognition, is a consolation prize for those both unhappy and not good at what they do. <laughs> I love his quotes. And number two is a lot of what we call work is noise. Of course, we've heard this. Uh, you know, sort of a correlate to the fact that your business is successful and has momentum is that it doesn't need you as much as it did in the early days. And that can be confusing, right? When all of a sudden it has more demands of you than it did in the early days. So something to keep our minds on. Speaking of uh, Talib quotes, you know, as long as we're going on the list here, I, I, I follow him on Twitter. And like one of the things that he said the other day is like, I know people use Twitter to praise people, but why aren't more people using Twitter to attack people? <laughs> And uh, <laughs> that's another uh, Nassim Tlaib yeah, quote. He's Twitter. so hardcore. Follow him on Facebook. He's the yeah. best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, let's get into these five strategies. Ian. Hey, Ian, before I jump into this, uh, the first point here, I just wanted to mention that in my experience, I found people to be really emotional about this topic, which is, I guess, kind of odd. We're talking about... Uh, 
productivity and like how you interact with your business. But there's a lot of people talking about like things that you should do, you know, for your business. You should be working 16 hour days or you should be serving your customers in X and Y way. And it can be infuriating to certain entrepreneurs when you maybe take a more leveraged or hackerly type approach, which is weird because kind of like it's that rebel attitude that kind of got a lot of us into this thing in the first place. And now all of a sudden that you have some success, it's like you're not supposed to be a rebel anymore. You're supposed to wear an Oxford shirt and some Dockers and come to the office for 12 hours every day. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So there's this weird double standard that kind of starts to happen. I think part of it is you kind of, you like it, you you take pride in it, right? And I think a lot of people, they, they might see like a turnoff, like, wow, this guy works so little in his business. Yeah. And, and you kind of take pride in it. And I think that I do too, to some degree. But what we're going to talk about here is a lot of it has to do with the systems and the reasons why we do it this way is because it affords us a certain, I think, lifestyle in a way. By the way, for anybody out there that's thinking about selling their business, Try to sell your business as you as a key player in that business, and I bet you're going to get a lot lower offers than if you sold it as an absentee owner. Sure. Just a thought. And we'll also say this, that the Oxford shirt is the most versatile of all male attire. Think about it. You can wear it to, <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> you can rock it at a funeral, a wedding. You can wear it out to the beach. You can wear it while you're working. This is a great... I don't want to put down that garment. This is incredibly versatile. <laughs> Oxford, and you know, one of the things that I noticed, Dan, throughout my life, I've been known to have a little bit of a beer gut here and there. <laughs> not so much right now, though, believe it or not. Impressive. Yeah, one thing I've noticed is polo shirts. I understand the secret of polo shirts now. If you have a little bit of pectoral muscle, or basically these shirts, they fall <laughs> off you in such a way that it conceals your stomach. I don't know if you knew that about them. Really, really nice shirts to have if you're if you're growing something down there. Polo shirts are pizza friendly. I think that's what you're saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> All right. Number one strategy, Ian. Define a rock solid and simple team communication SOP. So over the past few weeks, my team has been seeing a lot of changes. And we'll talk about that on the show. And so I'm digging into how I communicate with them and redefining, like sort of taking the things that are really working for us and doubling down on them. So I'll just lay it out. You know, I spend four hours a week on the telephone right now. One of those hours is in a team call, and that's on Friday mornings at the end of the week to kind of review what we've done and set out some things for the next week. That call used to have an agenda. It currently doesn't. All we do is we toss things to talk about into our SOD and we, we check those things off. I was thinking about maybe taking a, a fresh approach towards agenda. So I'm actually curious to what you do in terms of agenda, Ian. On Tuesday mornings, I have a 30-minute one-on-one call with each person on my team. Two hours a week on the phone with boss man. Those are unstructured calls and often end up being four or six hours, but I don't call it work because I love catching up with you, man. So I guess I'm curious, do you have an agenda on your team communication SOP? Because what I do right now is I just go into my strategic operating document and put things in there that I want to talk to my team at during the week. So if it's like Wednesday and something comes up that's like, oh, I'm... I'm, I can't believe this didn't get done or what's the deal with this? I won't send them an email. I'll toss that as a discussion point on our SOD and then I'll talk about it during the call. So in other words, what I'm taking is like a week's worth of complexity and craziness and I'm condensing it into four hours on the phone every week. Yeah, yeah. I do something similar. 
And and the reason I think, Dan, why you decided to throw it all in that document, I do the same as talking points instead of emails is because I like to get away from email as much as possible. I think it I think it's good in some cases, but in general I like want to get away from email. Like I I'm much happier like today I had just a ton of phone calls. And I'm much happier with that because I can accomplish a lot more. Now, that being said, Dan, I want to circle around to what we started to talk about at the beginning of the episode here, which was this is advanced level stuff. Like when we first started our business, Dan, like this wasn't possible. Like you just didn't get on a phone call for thirty minutes and, and accomplish all of this, right? Now there's systems in place, there's employees in place, there's a process in place, there's there's revenue coming in. Like we've gotten ourselves into a position where we can operate this way. And the alternative is working in your business, right? We're working on the business. Somebody asked me the other day, like, when is the last time you talked to a customer? And this is over at our product side. The last time I talked to a customer, uh, the last time I answered a customer service email, anything like that, three to four years ago. Quite gangsterly of you, good sir. Totally, totally out of it. And and that's not because I don't care. That's because we have systems and people in place to do that. I want to reference something that we talked about a couple years ago on this program, Ian, called the rule of six, which is that even if you're a, a consultant starting out, like last week's episode, making your first few clients, or if you're at our level, or if you're at Steve Jobs' level, when he only interacted with six people, that's what the rule of six means, is that there's you can generally have a productive working relationship with about six people in your life at any given time. So have an SOP for how you interact with each and every six of those. So in other words, this stuff doesn't really get more or less stressful as you go along. When you're on that first client call, there ought to be a checklist that you're going through. Like these are the types of questions that I need to make sure that I'm asking these people in order to have a quality client relationship. That process evolves and eventually gets executed by those employees or team members that you're on your weekly phone call with. And you say, hey, how's the process working? Maybe they identify something that gets tweaked. And that's how that you get scale and leverage out of uh, writing down precisely how you're communicating with those six people in your business. Make sense? Yeah, right on. Yes, Dan. And to answer your question about how I structure my week, this is exactly how it goes. I have two days of phone calls when I'm not in the office. Uh, One's with our designer, one's with marketing, and one's with sales. And I do that twice a week. So it's basically six hours of phone calls. Uh, right now, I'm back in California in the office. So like I found myself in the office a little bit more. Conversations kind of crop up. So basically, those phone calls disappear a little bit and you start having more conversations on a daily basis. Not as effective. I'll tell you that right now. Like, it's not it's, as effective. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much not as effective and it's not as efficient either. So like me being out of the office is actually more efficient, I think, and better. And, and, and our employees probably like that more to tell you the truth, because they don't have to deal with me. I, I think it's, a, in general, better, because it's it's more structured and it's more to the point. I also think it's important, finally, before we get off of this rock-solid team communication SOP point, is that me and you are constantly evolving how we interact together. And again, a lot of people, you know, they object to dreamlining, they object to team communication SOP because it feels robotic or overly pedantic or whatever, but for me, I find the opposite. When I have that structure, I can be creative on top of that. So me and you are currently redefining. We're working on a system of quarterly meetups. I feel like we've got to be in person more, but not like all year long. We don't have to move to the same city, but wouldn't it be great if every quarter we were together for a week? And maybe we can weave some more business significance into that as well. So that's something that we'll be rolling out here in the next few weeks. I'm excited about that, man, actually. Yeah, buddy. So... Point number two, avoid steak dinners and consider strategic patience. So one of the the themes in my business thinking, Ian, I've been thinking a lot about over the last year is patience. 
and the role of it. Because, I mean, my personality is to be the opposite. And so I guess I've been exploring the other side of the fence a little bit. You know, what does it mean to be patient uh, in a business context? So recently, Taylor Pearson commented on a blog article that I wrote called The Coconut Cash Conundrum. And he brought up a concept by our good friend John Reinick called the steak dinner problem. And, this, and I thought it was really clever and fun. And, and the idea is basically there's all these businesses out there that you can have immediately if you just go sit, fly around, and have steak dinners with your clients and sell them on the service. The problem, of course, is that steak dinners are expensive, they take a lot of energy, and they're not necessarily that fun after the first steak dinner. You might be in that polo shirt a little bit. <laughs> Right, exactly. You're in the polo shirt, sawing away at your steak dinner for the 800th time that year. It's like it's not fun at all. In in you know some kind of Applebee's chili spinoff kind of deal. <laughs> but here's the issue, you know, is that like you can we know as entrepreneurs that we can always go out and have a steak dinner and make more money, right? The question is, is at what point do you decide to defer that steak dinner and build processes around that, and which could take years in order to have a longer, more sustainable source of income that doesn't require you to hustle so hard. And I've, I just find this thinking about what would, what would it take for you to have to avoid steak dinners altogether or just find one steak dinner that represents a, a hypothetical 100 and then saying, you know what, I'm not going to go have those 100 steak dinners. I'm going to build a repeatable process around it and it might take me two years to deliver the same level of value, but that's going to be leveraged, scalable, and it's going to continue beyond those two years. No stakes, no airplanes, no polo shirts. <laughs> if you can do it, that's great, Dan. I think another thing about the steak dinner is having the kind of clients that steak dinners attract. And that's a, that's a question that actually Taylor and I were talking about the other day. I was like, well, do I want to have a business where I have to have steak dinners with people? Is that really the type of client that I want to have? When you start to think about the type of client you want to have, it's like, well, do I want to have the type of client that I have to interact with the client too, right? The advantage of selling portable bars for us, Dan, is that me and you don't have to sell portable bars, right? Like it doesn't depend on our personalities to sell these portable bars. You know what I mean by that? Certainly, but I think that there's a version of no steak dinners for virtually any kind of client. And now a lot of them just are a lot more expensive to create. And that's part of the steak dinner problem is that sometimes to reach certain kinds of clients, maybe the kinds that are used to being sold on steak dinners, the equivalent would be a recognized, trusted brand. Well, how long does it take to build one of those? Maybe two or three years, maybe more. And that could be a lot of time in, in you know, living on rice and beans when you could be out there eating steak dinners. So I think the question is, is, are you willing to eat rice and beans in order to grow a process? And in my case, the answer has always been very simple. I'm willing to put off the steak dinners because I know I'll be able to have more in the future and on my own terms with my friends and not with annoying <laughs> clients. Number three, do only one thing. And I, I bring this point up because I also want to mention the excellent book by Gary Keller called The One Thing, which is a very popular book now in entrepreneurial circles, and I think it's worth reading. He outlines the four thieves of productivity, an inability to say no, fear of chaos, poor health habits, and environments that don't support your goals. I really love the points that he outlines. It's a simple read, totally worth doing. We'll have the link at this one. It's tropicalmba.com slash lifestyle business. Dan, do you remember we were in Hong Kong? This was probably like four or five years ago. I don't remember why we were there, but like we met those like older guys and they were entrepreneurs and we we're like telling them about our business. 10 beers in, they're like, dude, you just got to do one thing. Like you guys are doing way too much. Do you remember that conversation or <laughs> no. was I the only one having that conversation? Maybe you were the only one having 10 beers. I have no yeah. idea. 
<laughs> yeah, you would you would never have ten beers. <laughs> Around the eighth beer, I think he told me that, and I was like, yeah, whatever, dude. I'm young. I'm I, I know what's going on here. But the the more we get down this path, the more I think that this is true. Is like do only one thing basically, and it doesn't mean that you can't have multiple businesses or anything like that. It means that like you have to have a, a unified vision, or you have to you have to be staring down one path to really be effective at anything. Like I'm starting more and more to believe in my career that like this multitasking, multi-hat wearing thing just doesn't work out. But I, I do think in the beginning of our business, Dan, again, this is kind of an advanced topic. At the beginning of our business, it was essential that we did many things. Now that we're kind of understanding where the money comes from and the path is kind of smoothing out, we're kind of, it, it makes a lot more sense to just do one thing that you're good at. I can make it concrete. A concrete example of this because it speaks directly to fear. What is it called? Fear of missing out? FOMA? There's, there's a lot of like psychological challenges with only doing one thing. And one is the classic entrepreneurial quote by Richard Branson, deals are like buses, another one's always coming. And that quote speaks directly to a fear that we have, which is like not letting any good opportunity go by. Tim Ferriss on his podcast has spoken pretty elegantly about this lately, this idea of, you know, kind of if you do one thing, you're spreading your bets over the course of many different opportunities and you only need a few to hit in order for it to work out for you. So I'll tell you a concrete example in my life, Ian, is I've stopped being interviewed by other people for their podcasts. I know this is crazy talk, but here's the reason why, is that having to go get interviewed is another sort of thing to do during my most productive times. So I think it's like, that's another reason why this team communication SOP is like, hey, I deal with six people. I don't deal with like 12 or 25 people. Right, right. Taylor and I had an interesting back and forth about this, which is this idea of how many steak dinners do you need to have? Like going on other people's shows is going out and having steak dinners, right? Cut a deal, kind of see if some of their audience wants to come over. But what would, I ha- what would have happened if I would have put all of that time and energy into this show? That's the real question. And now, is that even possible? I don't know. You know, sometimes there's diminishing returns to how much effort you spend on one thing. But that's the interesting, I think, thing to look at. And my sense is that if we would have focused on our blog for all those time that we went out onto other people's blogs, it would have been a better bet. It would have been a better bet to focus on one thing. You didn't know that, though, in the beginning. And so you had to do it. So I think that the answer to that is to do it for as little time as possible, to run these experiments, to see if it's worth it, and then move on to the next thing. Like, the worst thing is to be like, okay... I'm going to accept every interview, although like I'm not sure about the returns, and I'm going to do these other five things, and then before you know it, you're not pushing your business forward. Yes, that's absolutely true, and that's happened too. So this stuff is fraught with that. <laughs> Number four, polyphasic productivity. Ian, I'm obsessed with this book called Daily Rituals. You're also obsessed with making up key phrases like that. Yeah. I like it. Polyphasic productivity. Okay. Here's what it is. If you know what your one thing is, oh, by the way, so speaking of this one thing, Ian, so polyphasic productivity is identifying where your torque bands are, right? When are you most productive? So let me ask you the question on the spot. When are you most productive, Ian? I am most productive generally in the morning these days. So right after you wake up for... Yeah, basically have breakfast and yeah, for like two or three hours right then. So for me, it's the same. It's generally about 7.45 to about 10.30, 11 a.m., And then in the evening, for whatever reason, it's, you know, I don't think it's just because of like my eating schedule, my workout schedule. I think that's just naturally how I've been. It kind of comes back for me around 6.37 and hangs around until 9-ish. 
So I kind of have these two productivity windows that are the, my height of productivity. So I've identified the one thing that moves my business forward, and I do it during both of those productivity peaks. So in other words, I'm optimizing my day in the same way that people do with polyphasic sleep to be doing to arrive at that one thing. I have a little ritual to get into my one thing, which is I write to grow our business. I write processes. I write policies. I write procedures. I write blog posts. I write podcasts. So I have a ritual that gets me up to that both times of the day during my productive peaks. Now, this can cause some problems, right? Because if I'm only doing that one thing, there's a lot of stuff that's not getting done. Now, Gary Keller will tell you that that's cool. You just got to get used to not doing stuff, which I have no problem not doing stuff, as you know. But one of the ways that I've addressed this issue of like not going on the people's podcasts and like not paying the bills and all these things I have problems with is I have one day out of the week where those productive torque bands are put on those things. So BS, in other words. And for me, it's Friday. So Friday morning, I do bills and infrastructure stuff during that fresh, awesome time, which is actually not that sad because I know that it opens up that time the rest of the week. And then in the evenings, I do Skype calls and interviews with people that aren't part of my team. Got it. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, man. It's like, you know, you like let the crap fall by the wayside. If you're smart, you have somebody helping you to kind of shovel that crap along, right? So it's like, you're, you're not just not answering your emails. Like somebody is probably monitoring your emails for you or the or the incoming emails that come into your business. It's just not you. So for me, it's still me. And this that'll be an interesting transition when it gets to the point where I can no longer do it. If you're listening to the show, you might may or may not have noticed that I've been quite bad about email the last six months. So it's something that... Maybe it's time to address that. Maybe. You're doing the one thing, though, buddy. I'm doing the one thing. Number five, I'm trying. Cultivate serendipity, chaos, and cross-pollination. You know, Ian, I'm getting a lot of emails from Mr. Frank Kern lately. He's having a new product launch. And I can't help but think that a lot of the things that internet marketers are talking about are like hay that's been chewed 10 times already. And I think that if you were sharp, if you were to advise a sharp person what to do, should they be watching Frank Kern's launch or should they be looking at the top fitness podcasts in the world right now and wondering what it is that they're doing to set themselves apart? This is part of another Talib heuristic, which is never trust anybody who benefits from giving you the advice, right? Frank Kern is directly giving you advice to try to directly sell you something. And a lot of people say, you know, you should follow him because he's the top marketer and like this kind of stuff. I just, fair enough, but I think there's probably better people to learn from, number one. But also, you know, it becomes this like echo chambery thing of like all the things that you should do. Like I saw somebody state the other day that there are standard rules to marketing. And I thought to myself, yeah, who developed those rules? Frank Kern or Jay Abraham or whatever? Like, are these like indubitable rules? Like, I just don't think that that's true. Like, I'm seeing people on iTunes. I'm seeing people with like weird little blogs and like weird little Instagram accounts that are doing things that are unique and novel and that are cross-pollinating, borrowing things. So in other words, like part of what success can do is it puts you into this echo chamber of like just doing the same thing that everybody else is doing and having this whole host of shoulds what you should be doing and maybe it's time when you have a little bit of momentum to asking yourself what could you be doing i think that that's what this whole episode is about is not getting yourself into this situation where you're just doing what you feel like you should be doing instead you're you're taking advantage of the unique opportunity that you have which is to do something fresh and novel and that's unique to you 
Right on, Dan. I think final thoughts on this for, for me is, you know, eight years ago, almost several people told us actually, hey, what are you guys thinking? You can't run and own a manufacturing business where you travel full time and you don't live around the manufacturing plant and your warehouse and all this stuff. Like you should be sitting your ass in a chair in California. We took the direct opposite approach to that. And we said, no, I think that you can own a manufacturing business that allows you to travel and have this kind of lifestyle. And it's not going against the grain just to go against the grain, right? It's it's knowing what you want to accomplish with your life and, and the certain lifestyle that you want to have and the resources that you have available to yourself and, and the business that you have and that you want to build and, and trying to do it your way. You pulled it together because Ian, we've both been sat down by manufacturing gurus, right? that have told us that we're doing everything wrong, right? Based on, and this is like the Frank Kern 10 times chewed hay because they've been down the path, they know what it takes, and you guys are doing everything wrong. And well, what did it give us? It gave us a business that doesn't require our involvement. It gave us a business that's highly process-driven. It gives us a business that does funky things like start side businesses that have events and cool entrepreneurs hanging around. None of that stuff is in the game plan. None of that stuff is in the rule book, right? None of that stuff is, is the immutable law of marketing or whatever. And so this is this idea of, you know, finding your muse and going after it, embracing some chaos and enjoying the process of cross-pollination rather than worrying about it. Like six months ago, you remember that email we got? I don't think it makes sense to name the company, but it's a very famous company that manufactures products. And the guy was basically saying, I really appreciate what you guys do. I can't believe it, but I've gotten myself in a situation where I can't walk away from my business. Like I can't do the very thing that this business was supposed to allow me to do, which is enjoy my life. That's like heartbreaking, you know, to read an email like that and to think like, we're all spending so much time and energy to build these businesses and then to not be able to walk away from them and enjoy our lives and our and the people in our lives. Like that's that to me is a tragedy, my friend. And uh, not one that I want to participate in. No amount of money is worth that. Speaking of which, buddy, I want to get off this phone call and go take a dip or something. I'm, this is just too much. Too much work for me. <laughs> too much, man. Hey, let's, let's, speaking of enjoying life, let's listen to some rap music. What did you pick for us this week, man? Let's do rap and reviews. All right. Got an old one for you here, Dan. This is the famous KRS-One. The name of the track is The MC. I just remembered about KRS-One the other day because our friend Dan Taylor was actually in San Diego. So I got to hang out with him. He was staying down at the Catamaran. If you know anything about the Catamaran, pretty nice hotel. So I got to hang out with him down there. But he was leaving to go back to Prague, I believe, to go see Keros One. So I thought, oh, yeah, I got to listen to Keros One again. Not a fan of Keros One post-1997. I have no idea what he was thinking. He, he is definitely one of the real MCs, another one of his tracks. But uh, this is the MC. Here it is. Okay. I got one question. One question. Who am I? The MC. Brian sent us a picture scaling Machu Picchu, says this photo uh, has the combination of terror and joy on my face that is only parallel to that to ramping up his business. Uh, love the listener photos, especially this one. Thank you, Brian. Uh, we posted it at tropicalmba.com slash listeners. 
Biker Carl from iTunes, Must Listen, Inspirational. These guys tick all the boxes on a Must Listen podcast, actionable advice mixed with theory and tactics. You just never know. You never know what you're going to get in each episode. I've listened since the start, and I've never missed an episode yet. Wow. Biker Carl. You're so crazy. Kudos, buddy. You're That's so awesome. crazy. Indy 6, five stars. My favorite podcast. Seriously, now, Thursday is favorite, my favorite day of the week. It's crazy. Crazy song. Wait, who's that? I'm doing a... I'm doing an impression. Is that a Chris Rock or a Jimmy Fallon? Or Jimmy Fallon doing Chris Rock? I don't Rock? know, man. I don't know. It's, it's not very good, so I can't identify I'm this it. I'm while doing research on Chiang Mai. More than just a location-independent podcast, I love the woman episode. Give me more. We'll do it. I don't remember what that is. Next review here from Ratch or Rach. Oh, this is my favorite one. I'm just reading through this right now. Ooh, all right. Thank you, Ratch. Rach, four stars. <laughs> Headline, love Dan's personality. Only only love it to the tune of four stars, though, Dan. Four stars. It's hey, rough. It's room for just, just a reminder, if you're going to leave a review, nothing less than five stars, unless you're talking about Dan's personality. Gets four. All right, here we go. I'm in a situation where I'm back in school as a 29-year-old trying to get some concrete skills so I can own location-independent life. Kudos. The Tropical NBA podcast is so inspiring, it really makes me feel like I'm part of a community. I love Dan's incredible enthusiasm oh wait for i'm sure there's a part about me in here somewhere love dan's personality i, I love dan's incredible enthusiasm nope. and belief in what so. he's doing so when everyone around me is so bored by the normalcy of their lives i feel like i have a secret weapon thanks guys oh i'm kind of mentioned there p.s if you ever need any graphic design work hit me up all right thanks rage appreciate that you, you guys can be best friends uh, you can just start calling me secret weapon boss man i think that's the point of that <laughs> Four star secret weapon. <laughs> hey, you know, I was surfing around in the uh, DC the other day and I found a great digital nomad tip. So, do you want to? Awesome, awesome. Yeah, this, uh, again, uh, folks, this is the, this, this section is called Shit Dan Uses Today, but he won't use six months from now. So, yeah, go ahead, tell us about it. <laughs> so, there's this great thread in there, which is what is your working music? And all day long, you know, for digital nomads, a lot of us, our headphones our, are our offices. And Alan posted this podcast by BBC called Group Therapy. And every week, it's famous DJs come in, or, or there's a DJ host. I don't really understand it that well yet, because I just started using it. I'm going to stop using it in six months. <laughs> so, but I was, I was generally aware of this, but here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that there's a whole world full of music podcasts that come out on a regular basis that are like radio shows. But the cool part for Digital Nomads, of course, is that in a, in a systematic way, you're downloading these shows so you don't need to rely on streaming uh, internet in order to have high quality and fresh music to listen to. Because you know, Ian, especially with us older guys, we can tend to start getting in a little bit of a rut in our listening habits, if you know what I mean. I mean, might might listen to the same... <laughs> like you're still listening to Keras from 25 years later. Exactly. No, what's that mean? Exactly. Uh, I'm not following you. Well, it might mean that I listen to the Foo Fighters just one too many times. And uh, <laughs> I need to organize some chaos and some serendipity in my life. And so it's very nice that there's some high-quality, fresh young minds putting some cool music into my computer on a weekly basis. So thanks, Alan, for linking up to the Group Therapy podcast and we'll link to a few others as well at this one this one's at tropicalmba.com slash lifestyle business don't know if we met our goal of keeping it brief this week ian but had a good time talking about these high level issues with you yeah buddy brief like a pair of boxers man (laughs) see you next week i gotta get out of here all right we'll see you next thursday morning 8 a.m eastern standard time 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.